Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Nat Ward, uh, actually returning guest today, Nat Ward. Nat and Ben Alper were on the show pretty early on, back with Kai McBride, to talk about A New Nothing, and that is part of the reason why Nat is back on the show today. Uh, A New Nothing has been published into a three-volume series by Sleeper Studio, each one curated by three different artists. Uh, Volume 1 by John Pilsen, Volume 2 by Dan Paz, and Volume 3 by Sean D. Henry Smith. And we have a fantastic conversation about moving or publishing this web-based conversation between artists into a book-based conversation between the work those artists shared and the editor who was invited to curate those books. So it's a really interesting conversation and a really lovely little book series. First, actually, we'll talk about Nat's monograph, Big Throat, published in 2020 by Chris Graves Projects, uh, and how that book came about through a literal journey Nat was taking with his wife, Katie, uh, who is also expecting their first child, and much of the text that is very equally balanced with the photographs in this book is about the emotional and psychological journey that Nat was on during this road trip. And then lastly, we will talk about his contribution to a recently published book, Return to the Field, which is edited by Gabriel Cruz and Martha Tuttle and published by Wendy Subway, and how the idea for this book started with an installation by Martha Tuttle at Storm King. And that will describe that connection to the installation as well as the installation uh, when we talk about that book. Um, And as always, Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club. The Charcoal Book Club is a monthly membership. Each month, the Charcoal Book Club works with the most respective names in contemporary photography. As a member, you get signed copies of each monograph, guest curator notes, special edition prints, and members-only pricing to the store. Check them out at charcoalbookclub.com. All right, so before we get started with the show, uh, we don't do an exploration of how Nat gets into photography and where he is right now because we did that in the previous episode, so... Uh, you can search for Nat Ward and Ben Alper at the realphotoshow.com website if you want to hear that. But I will give you a very brief bio, uh, which was on Chris Graves Project's website. So credit to Chris Graves for having a bio for Nat, because I don't think Nat has a bio on his website. Nat Ward is a photographer based in Brooklyn, New York. He received his MFA from Columbia University in 2013 and was a resident in the Sharp Walenta Studio Program from 2015 to 16. He has exhibited internationally since 2008 with work and exhibitions presented by the Jewish Museum, Rail Curatorial Projects, and the Tel Aviv International Photography Festival. Ward's practice takes form in books and large-scale multi-image installations that explore the fictive potential of visual narrative sprawl. He is also the co-creator of the photographic online project space on New Nothing. And again, that is one of the topics we talk about uh, on this show. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. It's nice to uh, see you again. It's been a while. Yeah, well, I think it's been a while generally for everyone. But yes, indeed. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to see you. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, it it, it has been on on, on a multiple uh, levels, of course, with with COVID, and that's why we're doing this remotely too. But you know, you've been incredibly busy, uh, quite busy. You you had your your own book, and we'll get to all of this. But you have um, your own book, Big Throat, which was published last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we have these these three lovely little volumes from A New Nothing which you started with Ben Halper and you and Ben were on were, were some of my earliest guests back when Kai, Kai McBride and I were together. Yeah. Uh, oh, doing yeah. the show. Boy, your life. I, now I think about that. How much has your life changed since we recorded that episode? <laughs> um, a, a whole lot. I mean, that yeah. was, that was in a, you know, a 20 somethings loft in Bushwick, which was yes. great. I think there was maybe a dog, but yeah. not, Yet children? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One dog. One dog. One dog, yes. One dog, one partner, uh, no kids. And then and then kids. And immediately mm-hmm. uh, it became obvious when um, my first child turned one that doors were of significant importance in our life. Oh, wow. And we had That's none right. in our loft. Yes. Yeah, it was a nice, it was a beautiful space. Actually, I, I, that was a really nice uh, uh, apartment loft you had. Yeah. But yes, not not conducive for uh, children. Yeah. No. And now uh, on top of those things, there you're, con- you're a contributor to a book called Return to the Field, mm-hmm. which will be coming out. Is, it, is that this year or next year? Uh, it's out. Oh, it's it out. out. Oh, I'm a little behind. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it's out and and I'm actually, I'm prepping for a reading. Um, oh, nice. It's like a little book launch that's coming up this Sunday. All right. Well, why don't we, um, you know, we it, for those of you who want to see Nat's bio and how he got to where he is, uh, listen to the other episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cut through all that. <laughs> because there's so much has happened since. There's, a, there's enough to talk about. Including, uh, you just revealed to me not too long ago, you're back in grad school. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You're a masochist. <laughs> yes. Forever. Forever. Actually, I'm just really bad at working. So I figure if I can stay a student forever, then I'll be in better I, shape. I know that feeling. Yes. Why don't we talk about Big Throat? Sure. Which was very much about... The coming of your first child, Eliana, who you dedicate the book to, and of course your your wife, Katie Howard. It was an incredibly personal representation or a very personal idea about what you were going through at the time. Done in a way, in a in a very kind of in some ways traditional photographic style. But then on top of that, this sort of beautiful prose that you wrote to accompany the work. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. So I think the thing that I couldn't have known at the time, but that I came to understand in the process of making the book and of working through, um, you know, making work prints in the in the dark room and everything else, was that there's really no preparation for having a first child for any father or mother, no matter no. what. And there's a tremendous, at least I experienced a tremendous amount of anxiety about it that I, I wasn't really, you know, it wasn't conscious, but it was just kind of like general uh, worry about this is something I don't know how to do and I can't prepare for. No, uh, and, I, can't. And, I, and I am a planner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, it, it threw me off. And, you know, at the same time, dealing with a rocky point in a relationship with Katie and and feeling 
also completely uh, disoriented and dislocated by the state of the world at large, <laughs> at least um, in that moment. You know, we went on our honeymoon in in 2016, in November of 2016. Mm. Um, and so as we were road tripping around the Southwest, you know, we, I was listening to NPR the whole time and election coverage and everything else. And while, you know, the book itself, I did not want it to be a kind of topical engagement with politics or with social fracture within the United States. I can't deny that I was feeling a tremendous amount of anxiety about bringing a daughter into that world. Mm -hmm. And so it started with an argument with my now wife at a weird new agey day spa kind of place in New Mexico. And I don't spa very well, Michael. <laughs> I, I, I just can't relax. It it re I was going to say it requires relaxing. <laughs> I can't do that. It's impossible. I, know. I can't uh, either. <laughs> uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I said to, I said to Katie, uh, because I was, I was just, I knew that I was difficult to be around. <laughs> it was my problem, <laughs> not hers. And so, and so I was like, you know, um, I think the best thing is for me to go out and photograph tomorrow. I'm going to leave before sunrise. And a friend of mine had told me about the Rio Grande Gorge Bridge and just right off the bat mentioned, you know, you've got to see this bridge, but I want you to be prepared because a sense of, of death just permeates the place. And I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. I just kind of filed that away in my head mm. and maybe thought, oh, yeah, the desert is the kind of landscape that will kill you if you let it or something. You know, I didn't quite mm. reckon with the in the depth of of that statement but i did want to go see it and so um i went out and it just happened to coincide that it was election day um, oh wow and so i walked from sunrise to sunset photographing over the guardrail on the rio grande gorge bridge i mean i photographed a lot of other things too but i kept going back to kind of looking over the edge and photographing down I became enamored with the shifting shadows across the canyon and really interested in, in the shapes that those shadows mm -hmm. made, the abstractions, the texture, the detail, you know, and also the consonance of the, that kind of like physical disorientation. I mean, literally hanging off the edge of the bridge with the, uh, the kind of state of affairs rattling around in my head, right? And of course, I couldn't parse all of that in the moment. It took days in the darkroom making prints and f being even more interested in how much detail I could pull out of these shadows and being kind of taken with the more disorienting perspectives, the more decontextualized perspectives, the more perspectives that just presented shadow and field. Well, um, yeah, so just to make that point a little bit more, these because you're looking over the bridge, these have the appearance of aerial photographs right and so what happens of course with aerial photographs especially when the landscape is both kind of homogeneous but also with little details that you can pick out and especially with the body of water there the rio grande right. um things go in and out if you if you look at them long enough there's this uh, loss of sense of um dimensionality like sure. which is in front which is in back 
uh, things start forming more into shapes and then coming back into focus again. So it's a really interesting experience to to just sort of sit with the work and look at it because it it moves. It moves while you're looking at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I think that that there's another aspect of aerial photographs that I think is really important, which is that oftentimes scale is hard to identify. Right. right? Like the the where am I of the photograph. Mm-hmm makes for an entirely ungrounded experience, which I think later on metaphorically became very important, um, especially in weaving the writing through the, yeah, the it, book. It was um, the early modernists sort of version of abstractionism, right? <laughs> they would use photos from the Eiffel Tower or buildings, yeah, totally. you know, and shadows of people and, and just flatten everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, there's, <laughs> there's all that Laszlo Moholy-Nagy, uh, exactly. you know, abstraction. <laughs> Man Ray, moholy yeah. But also, you know, Timothy O'Sullivan, like yep. even those landscape photos, some of the ones that I'm drawn to the most are the, the jaggiest, the craggiest, the most, <laughs> the most visually violent uh, of them, you know, because there's a certain honesty in how close, how close mortality is, mm-hmm. uh, not just in that landscape, but particularly, particularly yeah. when the landscape is out of a human scale, you know, right. Uh, when it's, when it makes you recognize your insignificance, uh, due to its immense stature. Yes. And more so in kind of the American West than in many other places. Yeah. Sure, for sure. Yeah, the Poconos don't exactly do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but yes, you know, the, getting to the the pairing of you were talking about being interested in the the shadows and the shapes, and so just correct me if I'm I'm reading this wrong. It seems to me that you were also mimicking those shadows and shapes with your text. Absolutely. Yeah, that was okay. A, good. <laughs> um, a a kind of typographic strategy that I arrived on, you know, in, in thinking about both a limited history of concrete poetry that I kind of had access to and also, uh, thinking about how to, how to have the text feel a bit either like the landscape, like a topographic expression or like the flow of the river. And so the enjambments in the, in, you know, the line breaks in mm-hmm. the text are certainly there functionally to deal with a certain kind of rhythm or dynamics in the text, but also that's, it is about taking advantage of the space of the page to create a graphic counterpoint to the photo. No, absolutely. And when you look at a photograph that's so uh, topographical and filled with lights and darks, your eye makes sort of breaks and pauses as you go from section to section and the text works in the same way. In fact, there are times when I'm reading the text, I'm not even sure where to go next. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of have to look around and think about where I'm going to go next. When I, and, and in some ways it actually could work in more than one way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and that's uh, quite intentional that, that while not quite as uh, make your own mystery as my no. insta- installations <laughs> this have isn't been, 3D which art, no, <laughs> but, but they have been, you know, like that's the thing is that, you know, right. when, when I put, when I put text on a wall or engrave text into drywall and then spread it around a gallery with photographs, guess what? I have no mm-hmm. control, right? You can, yeah. <laughs> you can go ahead and go look at whatever section of text you want to look at. And I have to kind of, um, accept that as a, as a function of the work, whereas in the book, of course, there's a, a linearity to the progression, but I still wanted a little bit of that agency for the reader. Um, right. 
the agency of exploration through the book, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, and so that's, that's the design and, and we're, we're talking very formally, but, and what you were uh, alluding to before the, it was about this, this trip together and tension and expectations. And of course, there's no way to be prepared. There, there is no such thing as good advice uh, when you're having your first child, because it's just someone's own experience with their own child. And it's going to be different no matter what, Mm -hmm. (laughs) everything will be different. But you actually describe some of that tension, some of that fear, some of those arguments in the text itself. I mean, it's it, it's laid out in a certain way, but it's also, again, a, a very personal story. Mm-hmm. But it is it, it's, it is beautifully written and it does read like poetry. And you just told me you're studying poetry. I am. <laughs> well, I figured yes. I, had, I figured I had to get good at it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm actually being serious, you know, I, I um, yeah, no, absolutely. I recognized that, of course, I mean, this book is deeply indebted to Wright Morris and also many other text image examples mm-hmm. that that exist in the lineage of um, kind of text image work. But I recognized that I had never given myself the opportunity to intensively indulge either in the effort of writing outside of a couple of residencies where I was like, Ooh, I got to write this piece for this book or, Oh, I got to write this piece for this exhibition. I've got two weeks and here we go. In the same way that I've, I've certainly intensively indulged in the study of photography over and over again. And after the book and after a couple of experiences in the summer of 2019, kind of working with some writers on the text of the book, like workshopping the book ahead of publication, I realized I could really benefit from both, you know, the mentorship uh, of being around uh, poets who could show me new avenues and pathways and also show me a history that I wasn't part of, but also just the time. Even with two kids, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to make the time to really, to really write for the first time in my life. You know, I'm treating it like a job and that's I think it's exciting and I think it's opening up new possibilities for some of the the work in progress that I have right now in the darkroom. You know, a lot of what I'm working on in school, I'm kind of wrestling with how to integrate with, with those upcoming projects. Do you mind if I just read a little bit from sure. it? Sure. Yeah, please. Go ahead. The span bucks, sways, rolls, shudders. This concrete, this river above hemmed in metal does not rush, but howls. Shakes like dad yelling, groaning wild, under each family gone, under five lines of tires. For every quarry load, it has to move this way, these seamed sections. A bridge, too, will not bear its own weight, rigid weight. I move and can believe my desire for structured limits, a known threshold. But the shifting ground spikes, instincts, clear, as fluid as shadows, the river below. And then below that, you have, um, from Jeremiah... I knew you before I formed you in mother's womb, in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you. Um, and I believe somewhere I read that you found these biblical texts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, all of the, on, on the trip. All, yeah, all of the, um, they're all appropriated uh, from scripture that was graffitied on call mm. boxes, suicide helpline call boxes that line right. the sidewalk of the bridge. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I recognized them uh, when I was there and I started making pictures of them because the other thing is they were they were graffitied in vernacular. Right. Mm. 
And I loved the idea, the desperation of that gesture of, of having scripture in memory and then putting it on the call box, knowing, of course, that it was going to get wiped away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a great deal of, of different formulations of desperation that appear, you know, in that particular place. There is a heaviness that runs throughout the book. There's a, a kind of plea in the book for answers, but also uh, I, an idea that um, by doing this, there can be some kind of resolution. Yeah, or at least a future, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that the book deals with a space where you can go to be really close and proximal to mortality without actually taking the dive, right? And it also exists in a a landscape of the classical imaginary, the desert, a place where people have gone to wander, right? To find some wisdom. And I'm not saying I walked away with wisdom. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> um, but, you know, the idea that you go alone into a disorienting and dangerous landscape on your own, you get lost and you find some clarity, some motivating force um, that you can bring bring back with you. Yeah. You, you know, and I think that the other side of it is, and this is something that I've mentioned to a lot of a lot of people who kind of they'll question the 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 heaviness of the book. I'm like, well, you know, some people drive too fast. Some people drink too much. Some people go on roller coasters. You know, I think it's a pretty human thing to put yourself in a position of being out of control and being in a position where death is possible. Mm. Um, you know, people ride motorcycles. It's People do all sorts of things. And uh, I think that one of the things that can happen in situations where you approach the limits of your own your own agency and your own control, your own control over your body, etc., is that your desires become pretty clear. Yes. You know, if you're jumping out of a plane and the only thing that is going to get you safely to the ground is a parachute, I don't know about anybody else, but I'd certainly be thinking about everything I wanted to do once my feet touched the ground. <laughs> and the experience of the bridge and even and even um, afterwards and reflecting on the photographs and writing about it, you know, it was certainly a coming to terms with the things that I was keeping secret from myself, right? Really dealing with my own BS, but also a kind of unhopeful, but but clear-eyed, forward-thinking. Um, yeah, the only word I can come up with is, is 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 desire to put one foot in front of the other and make this family for better or worse. You left the uh, comfort of the spa to find... <laughs> the spa you needed in some ways. Yeah. 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 Clear yeah. my head and to, yeah. and to locate myself, you know, amidst all of the distraction and spectacle of everything else, Vegas and road tripping and life in general with devices. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was clarifying, centering, etc. That was published by Chris Graves projects mm-hmm. and still available, still in print. Yes. And now, uh, there are three, 
like say like I was saying before, three beautiful volumes from what we did talk about in your first episode, A New Nothing, mm-hmm. which was this visual conversation between two photographers, this sort of ongoing back and forth responding to each other through the through the photographs uh, that you and Ben Halper had created uh, on a web, basically as a website. Yep. Uh, and now there are these three curated books uh, where you you and you and Ben invited um, people to curate, mm-hmm. and you know is John Pilson is it Dan Paz or Don Paz? Uh, Dan Paz. Yep. Dan Paz and yep. Sean DeHenry Smith, and they're very three very different curations. Uh, mm-hmm. And and what I'm going to say is going to be an oversimplification, but I just pulled little pieces from their own introductions. You know, mm-hmm. John Pilson talks about having uh, uh, portraits that share a lifeboat from the Hitchcock movie, a yeah. Hitchcock film, Lifeboat, uh, and that that became a, a unifying sort of uh, way of looking at the work, like different but sharing space, right? Mm-hmm. Sharing a, a a tradition, sharing space. Dan Paz. Uh, referred to basically 2020 where you know there was racial sexual gender violence just a an upheaval of everything you know we thought we knew and understood as a kind of a way of thinking about the work mm-hmm. and then uh, Sean Henry Smith actually uh, wrote about it in an interesting way as uh, eavesdropping on a chess match <laughs> yeah <laughs> which I thought was great yeah, yeah. you yeah. know the uh, the idea of of being able to sort of sit back and look at all the different sort of calculated moves that were going on within the conversations on the site. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it really is. It was a chess match, right? You you were responding to someone else's move. Totally. On the website. I really love that description. Some of them used the, the same photographers, maybe different work, but they kind of there's some overlap in the work. Our good mm-hmm. friend Kai McBride uh, shows up more than once. That's right. <laughs> I think the, the most fascinating part for me is that it started out as a conversation between photographers. And then it became uh, a curator's conversation about the conversation right. uh, in a way that then uh, helps, you know, bring kind of not new life, but just sort of redefines what was going on when the photographers were sharing. Absolutely. And Ben and I talked about it a lot. We've wanted to work on a, a book series. I mean, almost from the beginning, but a huge, a huge sticking point was, okay, how can we make it as, as collaborative as the site itself, right? Right. And, you know, have it have it conceptually exist in the same space, you know, which which couldn't possibly be Ben and I making selections or, you know, of course we could publish individual conversations, but I think that that would be a default that neither Ben nor I were satisfied with. And so again, over over many conversations and text messages, we we came upon the idea of inviting editors whose task it would be to kind of treat the site as an archive and therefore would have their own experience with the work, their own relationship to the photographers through the work, and in the end, create an entirely new, almost linguistic exercise with their series of photographs, right? A, A kind of new syntax, depending on who the editor was, who the collaborator was. And I think it was also, like, it was really important to me and subsequently also to Ben that we not just bring on one editor at a time because we wanted the books to exist in opposition 
to one another in a similar way to the to the conversations on the site and how there's a real character when you drop in on a particular conversation that is impossible to mimic across the site. Mm. Each conversation has its its own wallpaper and its own, <laughs> you know, kind of feeling um, mm-hmm. and, and its own topic and its, or topics, right? And that was something that we wanted to bring into the book project that from, from the beginning, we wanted that to be like paramount. Because at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that we talked about when we were on the show, I think, <laughs> is that Ben and I really like the fact that uh, Sean speaks about it as dropping in and eavesdropping on a on a chess match. For me, it it was always sitting at a bar by yourself and listening to you know two intimate acquaintances next to you having a very serious conversation. Like that was really satisfying. <laughs> and maybe yes, that's just me. Yeah. I love airport bars. What can I say? <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I think that maintaining the idiosyncrasies, right? And also creating new idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. is something I'm really excited about with the books. Yeah, it is a way of continuing the conversation in a, in a new way. And it's also giving someone the opportunity, like you were saying, you and Ben couldn't do it yourselves, to take your work in, cre- in creating this space and opening it up to new possibilities that you may not have thought of. And, you know, you started this as a way of giving artists uh, pl- their own platform mm-hmm. and you let them go with it wherever they wanted to it, it, the instructions were pretty simple <laughs> they were in the yeah. and minimal right and same here like now you're you're opening it up again and saying right. here look at the look at all the work this is an archive do with it what you think uh, makes sense right it's yeah it's such an interesting way to start something and, yeah. and i think that has to do with you know for fear of sounding too nice Um, it's, it is about trust, right? But it's also about, it's about trust and at least on the site, kind of like omnivorous taste, right? Not, not being, you know, a taste boss, but rather being appreciative of, of all the potential that exists, um, within, within given constraints. Right. But also saying like, Hey, we believe in your work. If you're a writer or editor or a photographer, and if, you want to do this with us. We trust that you're not going to break the thing. Right. <laughs> or, if, or if you're going to break it, you'll break it in, in, a, in like a conceptually It'll exciting way that won't ruin it for everyone else. You right. know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, no. It, it, I just remember you and Ben having such a, a light-handed touch with the whole thing. Like I, I, at one point I asked you about analytics. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, we don't check. We don't check ever. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is there a future, uh, are, are there, is there the idea to create another set, you know, more sets of three? Is, is that the idea? Remains to be seen what the next mm-hmm. round will be, but there will be another round for sure. And and when you purchase these, you do you purchase them as a set, as a three volume you set? You can, you can. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so Ben started a, you know, a publishing company, uh, publishing imprint. So Sleeper Studio is... Ben's imprint. Yeah. So Ben started Sleeper Studio with Peter Hoffman and Ross Mantle, and they, they're working on a bunch of different uh, book projects, um, but it gave them kind of the, nice. or gave us the structure um, and a distribution system to use to put out these I Knew Nothing books as well. I think they're lovely. Yeah. Thanks. 
yeah, I'm very happy with the way the way the printing came out. Um, sorry for the book noise. I have the books here also. <laughs> yes, that's all right. You can hold them. Lots up. of book noise. Um, <laughs> I, there's something about there's almost three different traditions of photo text book represented in unintentionally we did not say okay you do the you do the classic john charkovsky model uh-huh. you do this that and the other thing you know it just kind of happened and i thought that was lovely as well i think um actually I've, john pilson was just on the show i produce with sasha wolf and nice. i think that came up that it's a very charkovsky like a production that he put together yeah yeah totally <laughs> totally whereas like you know dan in dealing with the contemporary social and political environment is is kind of like in the writing straddling a documentary lens, but also their interest in the kind of tenants in formal photography. Mm-hmm. And Sean, of course, has a wonderfully uh, poetic essay uh, at the beginning of of their volume. Um, and right. so again, you know, I just found it interesting that that there were these these three medallies that end up. Um, working together in the series. Very well, really well together, yeah. Um, and of course, that's in part because they're, the source is has already had this structure, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, and so you can't help but be influenced by where you're getting the work, too. Yeah, and yeah. All, all three of them mentioned kind of what a refuge it was for mm. them to, to revisit a new nothing with purpose, they were all familiar with it in their own ways, but especially over the last two years, <laughs> it was, <laughs> you know, it was kind of privately, they each mentioned either to me or Ben that it was an escape, that the, that, mm. that like the effort of putting the thing together was also a productive escape for them. So That's I was really great. happy, happy that that had happened as well. Yeah. And then, of course, there's a third project in the works here, uh, which you mentioned is already is already out. A Return to the Field, mm-hmm. uh, edited by uh, is it Gabriel Cruis and uh, Martha Tuttle? Yeah, Gabriel Gabriel Cruis. Okay, Gabriel Martha, Cruis. Martha I, Tuttle. Yep. I overdid it on that one. Mm-hmm. That's all right. <laughs> Gabriel Cruis and Martha Tuttle, and the genesis of this was an installation at Storm King. Yeah, so uh, Martha has a beautiful installation up at Storm King. It uh, was up this fall, um, and it was up last summer as well. And so the installation um, are a series of of cast rocks arranged in a field, and they are variously translucent, transparent, beautiful, glowing. You know, they have a relationship to bricks of ice in a way, Mm. but they're actually cast rocks in shape. And so what Martha what Martha did, uh, which was really interesting in planning the exhibition, was she worked with Gabe to kind of bring together a group of, <laughs> I can say collaborators, but it feels more like co-conspirators, <laughs> like, um, to do live events during the course of the show. And so the piece itself is a stone that thinks of Enceladus, which is uh, a moon. Um, yeah, so the, the exhibition is Stone That Thinks of Enceladus. Up at Storm King, you know, Martha and Gabe brought together a, a group of writers and other artists to create performances or to do readings. And Gabe also ended up writing a series of what started out as introductions, but ended up as this kind of um, correspondence 
with the piece and with the other collaborators. And so it's he created this book-length letter poem, right? Correspondence poem. Oh my goodness, a long time ago, when in the in the planning stages for the exhibition. And when it came time to put together this retrospective book that includes documentation of the exhibition, they wanted to include uh, some some of my contribution, right? A, a they asked for a contribution because you know we'd had a really productive conversation that was, I, I suppose, important <laughs> to to uh, <laughs> to what they ended up doing. Um, you know, uh, and is I this think photography? That, is this writing? Is this both? So so I have a I have a I have a photograph in it from a new series that I've been making, photographing small private gardens in my neighborhood in Queens, um, this kind of Western Queens vernacular. Um, so Ooh. there's a garden from Willoughby street <laughs> in the, in the book. And, uh, there are two poems and they are both, they're both moon poems in a way, uh, or at least moon and mythology poems. Cause so it's really taken. I started doing a lot of research about Enceladus. Um, it's the brightest object in our solar system because it's a moon made entirely of water ice. Mm. And it just so happened that in the summer of 2020, my daughter was super into PBS's Nova, uh, mm-hmm. specifically uh, anything about space. And I, and I think it was, you know, the images are spectacular, right? It's all this computer-generated imagery and satellite yeah. imagery. And it's gorgeous and explosive and high contrast and colorful. We have all these great new telescopes now. Yes. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and and there's and there is a, you know, this this death dive to Saturn episode yes. that collected incredible data about Saturn, its rings, its moons, you know. And there's a section in in that and and i just found it to be a wonderful uh, that kind of there are no coincidences wonderful coincidence thing mm-hmm. um you know this idea that at the height of the pandemic when my daughter is also too young to understand really what death is but is asking what death is because it's on npr in our house all the goddamn time mm-hmm. um we're watching this show where they're talking about a satellite going around this moon. And there was a moment where Ellie asked me, you know, because they talk about that the satellite picked up organic material in, in the, oh, yes. Um, yes, yes. In the water jets. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's this shot of the scientists kind of like celebrating, right. When, the satellite falls into Saturn. And, and so it was just this kind of confluence of, wait, are the, so why are the scientists celebrating? Are they excited that they found death there? Right. Oh, wow. You know? Um, yeah. And, and I loved that, that actually that, that the evidence of death was the sign of potential life. Um, yes. And just, I mean, which is a, which is a super like, bold-faced straightforward heavy-handed metaphor in a nova special um, yes. but i but i but i also <laughs> love that that it that it dovetailed with you know a lot of this you know the considerations in this piece and also the the kind of uh, poetic history around the piece and and so i wrote a poem about that and i wrote a poem about thinking so there's a <laughs> there's a uh, there's a lawn sculpture in this photograph, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm ignorant of classical oh. mythology. 
right? What it was, but it was, right. but it was, but it was clearly attempting to something classical. Mm-hmm. And so I had to write to my friend, who's a who's a classic scholar, to be like, well, "What is this?" Uh, <laughs> you know. And I was really hoping that it was that it was you know that it was Enceladus, that it was the fiery child of Earth and uh-huh. um, raging raging under Mount Etna. But it turns out it was just a Triton, which is, is which oh, okay. was a which was a soggy a soggy result. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> water ice though you know yeah yeah, maybe but i I liked but i also liked the idea of kind of like the desperation of of seeking something desiring something wanting something to mean something but of course um it's the looking it's the looking for it that's the meaningful thing yeah and and this book seems to be also another conversation that multiple artists are having with each other, completely, uh, all surrounding this idea, right of right. of this this moon, of the moon, and what it and and also you know, and what it means to and what it really means t- to look and looking looking also as a as a communal act, right, uh, making those connections that your daughter so much sees yeah. uh, in in the Nova specials, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I decided I I, could, I think that my next book is just going to be, um, would you like to read about my family some more? <laughs> Here's more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. More, more too much information. <laughs> but, you know, where does, where does all this work come from, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> comes from the, our lives. And, totally. uh, and it, there's, I always um, say, you know, I, I never want to give advice to anyone having a, a child because I know how useless that advice can be also how wrong that advice can be uh, misleading misguiding but i do i do often tell people that um i think my biggest revelation of living with someone and then having children that you're also living with is how you get to know yourself through other people's eyes is frightening <laughs> yeah yeah yes completely amazing um, yes. Well, I mean, you know, I'm always, and and I, I wonder if this is just saying what you're saying in a different way. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about, am I, am I acting the way I want my children to remember me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, There's, because yeah. because children invent their parents through selective memory, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm just hoping that that they select um, kind, <laughs> kindly. <laughs> you have no control over that no I think. none I don't whatsoever know. <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> that's, all, that's the other thing it's just the release the other one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. that's the other thing is just release control just give up just forget yep. it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, well thank you this has been I mean I love catching up with you this has been great yeah. and if we can't uh, find time to talk in person at least we can force time together <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> thank you for that I appreciate yes, that you're I welcome do, I do. Yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful it's, it's wonderful to catch up even if it's um, in public on a podcast <laughs> that's right <laughs> so great well thank you very much and uh, you know I think we should let uh, Katie back into the room so she could get the real work done yeah i know i know (laughs) she's gonna kill me (laughs) all right well i'll talk to you soon hopefully all right thanks michael all right thanks bye all right 
Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.